Well, as Matt said, last Sunday we did something really unusual. We launched the year by just having one service. And uh, so we didn't have one at 9 and 11, which we typically do, but instead we had one at 10, which created a parking nightmare and, and some seating nightmares. I was talking to somebody beforehand who, by the way, is volunteering today for the first time. So I was like, this is amazing. And he said, yeah, I was really convicted. I was sitting all the way back by the ladies room and, you know, and I thought, that's awesome. Fantastic. And she's like, yeah, that's, we came on time. And, you know, so that was great. But I know uh, that not all of you got the memo, and I know that because some of you showed up at nine, and you had no parking problems, right? Like, you got to sit where you really always wanted to, uh, but a lot of you came at 11, and uh, yeah, you you missed it. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to go back and watch the whole thing from beginning to end. Every service that we put together here at this church is an integrated whole. It's unified from the lyrics of the first song all the way to the benediction that's given at the end of the service. Like it's telling one great story. And and last Sunday, I just thought was really uniquely wonderful. I felt like the Lord just came and he showed up and and I think that he was honored in it all. And I, I think that if you'll go back and you'll watch it, that you'll be inspired. I think you'll be encouraged. I think you'll be challenged to join us, as Matt said, on this journey that we're on this year to begin to function as a church, how? As one body on one mission, and we're starting the year with this study of the book of Ephesians that we actually started on Monday in personal worship. So as he said, if you are not on the personal worship bus, get the app, set up the pushes, and start to make space in your heart and life for the Spirit of God to come to you on a daily basis and form you and shape you and talk to you and mold you and make you more like Jesus. But one other thing that I would encourage you to do, Sam Smith, together with Mark Lautenschlager, do a brilliant podcast called Out of Water. It's really, really good. You can find it on the app. And these guys did an incredible introduction to the book of Ephesians. They are week by week dealing with all kinds of things that I'm not going to deal with on Sunday morning, and I'm dealing with some of the things that they're not dealing with in their podcast. I would really encourage you to get that because it's going to flesh out your understanding. Every Thursday, the next one comes out of this great book that I'm praying will lay hold of us. And here's why we chose this book. Simple, because in the first three chapters of this book, Paul comes to me and you, and he says, all right, so here's what we're going to talk about. Chapters one through three, I want to talk to you about who you are. Not who you think you are, not who you've been told that you are, not who you feel like you are, not the narrative that you've bought about yourself, not what the evil one comes and accuses you of. But I'm going to give you the infallible opinion of God on who you are, who you are as an individual person if you are a Christian, but then also as a collection of people I just, I want you to know that you're one body. And then in the last three chapters of this book, he comes to us and says, all right, now in light of who you are, here's how you ought to live. Here's your mission. Work out your faith by the power of the Spirit together in community with these other people and and go and do this. So that's the idea. And we begin today with a question. So the question that I have for you is this. It's who or what? And then I added the words, if anything, because as I thought about it, I thought... As you look at this question, you might be thinking, I have no idea what my answer is, but who or what, if anything, do you praise God for? What moves you? What compels you? What makes it irresistible? Like you just go, yes, it's, what is it? And I suppose there are probably as many answers as there are people in this room, okay? And I also think it might vary depending on what stage of life you're in. Like when you're a little kid, You know, like you praise Jesus if you get dessert, don't you? I mean, that's it. It's like, what? There's ice cream, you know? All of my dreams are coming true. 
Here's what Paul is going to do at the beginning of this book. He's coming to me and he's coming to you and he's saying, all right, so here's the deal. I don't know if you're going to get dessert or not today. Like maybe, maybe not. I I don't know if in your life all your dreams are going to come true or none of your dreams are going to come true. Probably it's going to be somewhere in the middle. But in either case, I want to tell you what to praise God for. I want you to know that if you are a Christian, then in Jesus, meaning through the performance of his, of his life, his perfect life, his sufferings and death, his burial and resurrection, man, you always, always have reason to praise Jesus. The whole of what we're going to look at is bathed in worship. It's remarkable. And it all flows out of our identity. So after giving us his greeting in verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul begins this book of Ephesians in verse 3 with this, and it's a statement of praise. He says, bless, the idea being at all times, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has blessed us how? In Christ, with every, which is an awesome word, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Like, I mean, you know, if you had to go every or most, you'd go every every time, right? Like every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, okay, in Christ? Yeah, God's blessed you with that. So you know what Paul's saying? You should praise him. And it sounds amazing. Like it sounds awesome. Like, you know, because we're all into blessing. You're like, Tom, I'm into blessing. If there was a blessing sign-up sheet, I'd sign up. I'd stand in line. I like to be blessed. I particularly like to be blessed by God. Why? Because he's the greatest giver ever. He gives out of an inexhaustible pool of resources. Like he's not having to parcel it out and go, well, I can only give you so much because I've got like 10 million other people who want this same blessing. No, he's like, no, 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 here you, I don't need to give you a slice of the pie. I'll give you the whole thing because I have pies for everyone. By definition, his blessings are the greatest. And by definition, they're the most secure. Like if he promises you something, it is going to happen. It's remarkable. When you look in the Bible and it talks about the promises of God, it often speaks of them in the past tense, even though they haven't yet been fulfilled. Because it's as good as done, because he's different from you and me. Like, I might make you a promise, and then something might happen, and then I've got to circle back to you and go, okay, well, I know that I said that I was going to do this, but I'm not able to do this, but the reason I can't is because of this and this and this, and I didn't foresee any of this happening, and I really hope that you understand, and I'm sorry that you're disappointed, and there's none of that with God. His blessings are the greatest and most secure. But the reason that we're not, you know, like going, hey, Tom, sit down, we've heard enough, <laughs> bring the worship team back up, is because when Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we don't yet know what that means. And it's what he spells out next. It's what he begins to just itemize. And the first thing that he says is, look, if you're a Christian, you should bless God because God has chosen you for himself. And more than that, he's adopted you into his family. And here's what's true of every person everywhere. We all want to be chosen. And we all want to be a part of a healthy family. You know, one of the greatest blessings that Beth and I have had, we've been here since about 1997, okay? And so we have raised our family here. Like our kids, except for Morgan, who was like three when we got here, 
all grew up here. And one of the great blessings of, of having them grow up here is they went to Bethany Christian School, which I'm just going to say it is an awesome and an amazing school. And so we put our kids all in there, you know, in like pre-K and they went all the way through eighth grade, each one of them, and they graduated off. There was a season of time, 18 years in our life where we had at least one of our kids as a student at Bethany Christian School. It was amazing. And when it came to an end, we were sad. It was like, this is so weird, you know, no, no students. And our kids, in varying degrees, liked school. But our Haley, who is our middle child, loves school. This kid lives for school. Haley is amazing. Like, she's a great student. She loves to go to school. She's the kid who, when summer came, was disappointed. How many of you know what a Bridger book is? You ever, you know what that is? Okay, so a Bridger book is this book that you buy your kids that they see as a curse unless they're Haley. So that during the summer, they can stay academically engaged. That's all kinds of math problems. I mean, what kid doesn't want to do that? You know, all kinds of vocabulary words, all kinds of science things. It's like you learn and it helps you get ready for the fourth grade if you're coming out of third grade or the fifth grade if you're coming out of fourth grade. When we gave this to Haley, it was like Christmas for her. I talked to her this week to talk about this story. I'm like, baby, you okay with me sharing this? And she's like, yeah. But she was telling me that she remembers having to actively say to herself, slow down in the Bridger book or you'll be done in like a week. You know, it's got to last the summer and she's savoring it. That's Haley. Love school. Until one little event, one blip on the radar. And that was when she was in the third grade. So this is third grade Haley. I don't know if you guys can see her. Uh, I, I think she's the cutest third grade kid that's ever lived, probably, in my opinion. Uh, but that's unbiased. Um, she's got to be in their brochure. I, I don't know who took the picture, but but she's just a precious girl. Now and then. Now she's 20. But all of a sudden, she didn't want to go to school. And I mean, really did not want to go to school. And Haley was a force. Like, she was... She was strong, like she wasn't mild about her opinions about anything, okay? And so she's crying and and weeping and not wanting, and we're like, what in the world has happened here? And so we sat down, and after much cajoling, the the truth came out. So that she said, Dad, she said, it's P.E., physical education. And I said, well, honey, what is it about P.E. that that makes you all of a sudden not want to go to school? And she said, well... It's the way the coach chooses the team. So he chooses two students, then he lets the students choose the team. And I just want to stop for a minute and say in defense of the coach, I don't know, that's how I always did it. I'm sure that's how he always did it. Probably that's how you always did it, or at least did a lot of it, right? But the coach was a really good athlete. He was here for like two years. He was a great guy. I wrote him a recommendation letter when he left. He went off to coach baseball at like a community college somewhere. But he was a really good athlete. Guess what? He was never the kid left over. I wasn't a really great athlete. Probably you can figure that out. But but I was also never the kid left over. Haley said, Dad, every time they pick teams, I'm never picked. I'm the last kid. And the last team to choose just gets stuck with me. And then they all groan. And in defense of them, Haley is not a good athlete, okay? She's just 
not. She is a straight-A student, straight A's, no kidding, from pre-K all the way till now when she's a junior in college. Really good at drama, involved in all of the programs. You know, she dances. She's done all of that. But athletics, sports, it's like a running joke at our house. You know, we're just like sports, you know, and then we all laugh, you know, when we're with her because she's not, not a good athlete and doesn't care. Keep that in mind. So anyway, I'm thinking, what do I do? You know, because I'm the senior pastor of the church, which is a little awkward, isn't it? Like, I have never gone to any teacher to talk about anything in the whole 18-year period except for this, this little moment in time, this blip on the radar screen that I'm telling you about now. And we've always been over backwards to be totally in support of the teachers, and we're here for you, and how can we pray for you, and Beth's the room mom. And, you know, we resolve to be the least complicated parents that Bethany Christian School has ever known, and yet I'm watching third grade Haley get destroyed by this, and I'm thinking to myself, this is happening at every level of our school and all the grades. Because every time teams are chosen, somebody's left out. So I went to our head of school at the time, it's like 13 years ago, and explained the situation to her. I said, what do you you want to do? Like, what do I do here? She said, you know what? I see your point. And my point is, there's a different way to do this. I said, look, the coach can just line them up in a row and go, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. All the ones over here, all the twos over here, problem solved. The coach can pick the teams himself. No issues. She said, I'm going to take care of it. So I'm going to go talk to him. We'll get it set. You're right. Probably some kid is being victimized, and I'm sure he doesn't even know this and whatever. So she goes to talk to him. I go talk to Haley. I'm like, honey, problem solved. No fear. Go to school tomorrow. We're good. So she gets up. Looks like that again. We go to school. She goes to PE. Problem not solved. Now she's doubly devastated, and I'm doubly irritated. So I go back to the head of school. I'm like, what do do you want to do? She said, let's meet with him together. I said, okay, great. Let's do that. So we sat down, and I explained the whole situation to him. It's crushing, kid at every grade, one, two, one, two, one, two method would solve it. Just pick the teams yourself. I don't care how you do it. Get to the end of the story. And he says, well, I'll think about it. And that was not what I was looking for. So like the one and only time I've ever flexed my position, I did. I just leaned over and I put my hand on his leg and I said, listen, man. So maybe I'm not being clear. I says, let me try to remedy that, okay? Um, I didn't come here to give you something to think about. I came here to tell you what you're going to do next. So what you're going to do next is one of two things. One, you're going to explain to me why it is that choosing teams this way is the right way to do it, even though it's crushing a kid at every grade level of our school, or two you're going to change the way you do it. Am I now clear? He said, yes. I said, can you give me the explanation? He said, no. I said, so then is the problem solved? He said, yes. I said, and the meeting is over. We're done. And I went down the hall and I found Haley and I said, honey, it's okay. It's all good. You can go to PE today and not experience that. And the problem was solved. And like I said, he was a great guy. We actually became kind of friends after that. So I think that furthered our relationship in an ironic sort of way. But but why was Haley upset, guys? Because it wasn't that she wasn't a great athlete. Again, she doesn't care. If I said, honey, we're going to go to have lunch with Michael Jordan, she would say, who's that? 
if I said, we're going to go have lunch with Lin-Manuel Miranda, she would not sleep for a week. Like, she'd be... It's not her part in her value system. She was upset because she wasn't chosen. Nobody wanted her on their team. So here's the reality with every single one of us in varying degrees, but all of us to some degree and much larger degree than I think we realize. We all want to be chosen. We all want to be wanted. Listen, not chosen has a message. What's the message of not chosen? It's not worthy. It's not important. It's not significant. It's not valuable. It's not useful. It's of no good. And all of us spend a lot of time and energy exhausting ourselves trying to impress people on the one hand and trying to hide from people on the other hand all of our failures and all of the reasons why they ought not to be impressed with us. It's one of the reasons why we accept their assessment of us, whether we're chosen or whether we're kicked to the side as the truth about who we are, about what our value is, about what our identity is. In other words, we move through life subconsciously, usually, but many times consciously, depending on who communicated this to us. We move through life saying, I'm a winner or I'm a loser based on what this person said about me or what these people think of me. I'm a success or I'm a failure based on what this person thinks or or what these people think. I'm a someone or I am a total no one because that's what this person said. That's what these people think. That's the, and we accept that as the truth about ourselves. And what Paul is saying is, guys, if you're a Christian, that is garbage. It's not true. It's very different. He's saying, look, if you're a Christian, then your identity, who you are, is not found in the opinions of other people about you. It's not even found in your own opinion about you. It is found in the infallible opinion of God who has chosen you for himself, who's adopted you into his family, and in him you have a father much wiser than me, infinitely more powerful. And with a love toward you and a loyalty toward you far, far more fierce than my love and loyalty toward any of my kids or your love and loyalty toward any of yours. Paul says in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 4, he says, Guys, here's what you need to know. God chose us in Him, that is to say, in Jesus. But when did He do it? Because it makes all the difference in the world. He says, before the foundation of the world. Now, why does that matter? He's saying God chose you before you were born and showed any promise or any, you know, stupidity. It's not like he waited for you to come around and he went, oh, that's, a, that's somebody I want on my team. Or that's definitely not someone I want on my team. Or you know what? I kind of feel sorry for that person because they never get picked for a team. So I'm going to choose them out of pity. It's none of that. Before you ever did or said a thing, before the world was born, much less you or I, God said, you will be the object of my affection. You will be the object of my love. I choose you, and I choose you that you should be holy and blameless before me, God. And that's a little unsettling because I think that what can happen is you look at that statement and you go, well, maybe I'm not chosen because that does not look like me. But wait a minute, he didn't choose Tom and Tom. He didn't choose you and you. He chose us in Christ. That's the difference. He's saying, look, where you have failed... 
Christ has succeeded. Where you have lost, Christ has won. Where you've proven yourself morally or spiritually or in some other way to be a no one, Christ has proven himself to be the ultimate someone and the ultimate someone not just for himself but for me and for you. That's the idea of the gospel. It is that God in the person of Jesus has entered into this world and he lived the holy blameless life that none of us have. And then in love for us, He substituted his holy and blameless life for the lives that we've lived, the innocent for the guilty, that we might be made into something that left to ourselves, Tom and Tom, you and you, we are absolutely not, which is holy and blameless. And yet, in him, we're free. We're clean. We're forgiven. We're washed. We're made new. All of these statements of the Bible apply to us. And he's done that for us, not just so that he can go, okay, you're, you're forgiven. Now go back to work, you know, like he did that so that he would embrace us as his kids. In love, Paul says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters of the living God. Through Jesus is the idea according to the purpose of his will and to the what? Because it's the running theme to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So look, when Paul comes to us and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He means, first of all, look, if you're a Christian, then you should praise God whether you get dessert or not because he's chosen you. He's brought you into his family. But secondly, as he continues... He says, look, if you're a Christian, you should praise God because you've been redeemed and forgiven. Beginning in verse 7, he says, in him we have redemption. That's a key word. What does it mean? It means to be purchased out of something. Think of it transactionally. And you're like, all right, well, then what was I purchased out of? You were purchased out of the debt that you accrued with God for not living the holy and blameless life that he calls you to and deserves from me and from you and everyone else. That's how great he is. Then you say, all right, well, then what was the price that he paid? Why does that matter? Because price establishes value, doesn't it? You go buy a television set, there's a price on it. You go, "Hmm, I guess it must be about that value. That's what the market has set for it. A car, a house, whatever. What is your value? I think that's something that we all struggle with, guys. We all of us walk through life just with this, this sort of doubt and fear within us that we really actually aren't worth much. And a lot of us start looking for all of the reasons why that is in fact the case. It's like we build this narrative or we accept the narrative of the lie of the accuser who is the evil one in the Bible. Did you know he's called that? He accuses you to you. Do you see that? You're worthless. Do you see that? You're not worth anything. Do you see that? You're a failure. Do you see that? You're this and that and the other thing. Or maybe it was a parent. Or maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe you just looked at yourself and compared yourself to everyone else and proclaimed yourself worthless. So it was you. And you move through life with that narrative in your heart and that narrative in your mind, and you're looking for things. And here's the deal. You find what you're looking for that reinforce your narrative. And Paul comes and blows up your narrative. He's like, if you want to know what you're worth, well, the answer is found in his blood. He says, in him we have redemption 
through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses. God's going, I'm the ultimate appraiser. I'm the creator and sustainer. I'm the only one who knows absolutely everything. And I'm going to tell you what you're worth. You're worth every drop of the blood of my son. And you might have a hard time feeling that or receiving that or whatever, but that doesn't change the reality of it. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. I love all the language. It's not like God walks up with a thimble full of grace and goes, all right, I'm going to put a little on you, and you know, and I'm going to put a little on you. He's like, no, 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 i got Niagara Falls for you. Come on over here. We're going to lavish. We're going under in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to the fullness of time. And what is the mystery? It's the mystery of how God is set about to unite all things. How? In Him, meaning in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. And I want you to think for a minute about all of the things that in Jesus, God unites. And He does it for you. I mean, first of all, God unites God and man in Jesus, does He not? Who is Jesus? He is God-made man. He is the incarnate God. He is the one who is supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is God on planet Earth in a human body. He is God-made man. But think beyond that for a minute. Why did he come to lay down that human body after having lived that perfect life? That he might offer us forgiveness of sins and unite God and man through his own sacrifice, through his own death. He unites heaven and earth. He is the heavenly man come to earth to proclaim the way to heaven. He unites sin and holiness. He takes our sin. He gives us his holiness. He unites suffering and glory. It's by his sufferings that we are received into glory. He unites poverty and wealth. What does Jesus do? He rejects the wealth of heaven to enter into this world as a peasant slave of the Roman Empire, a Galilean first century Jew a carpenter, so that he might invest you with the wealth of heaven. Acceptance and rejection, it's by his rejection that we are accepted by God. The finite and the infinite come together in Jesus. The God made man that he might unite the infinite God with his finite creatures who humble themselves, who come to him and ask for his forgiveness, who come and receive his identity. And then lastly, He unites life and death. It's through the death of Jesus that he is able then to proclaim to us authentic life, life that is abundant and life that is eternal. It's remarkable. Paul's saying, look, if you're a Christian, you should praise God, desert or not, because you've been chosen, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven. But then lastly, he says, if you're a Christian then you should praise God for the inheritance of eternal life. That is yours how? Because you've earned it, right? No, that's that's who has blessed us in Tom or in you, no, in Christ because he's earned it. Paul closes this little part of Ephesians with this, beginning in verse 11. He says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And then he says, In Him you also, 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and did what? Because it's the only thing that you can do, and it is itself the gift of God to you. You believed in him and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And when you did that, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire full possession of it in the next life to the praise of his glory. So who or what do you praise God for? Because Paul kicks off the book of Ephesians by jumping up and down and going, man, dessert, you know? Like, I mean, okay, if you're two, that's awesome. What do you praise God for? Because whether you get everything you want, whether you get nothing you want, or more likely, somewhere in the middle, that's not the reason. You praise God for who he has made you to be in Christ. Chosen. Adopted, redeemed, forgiven by the one who unites all things in Christ for you and who offers you an eternal inheritance that nothing and no one can take from you. So I close with this. Are you looking for your identity in the choice of other people or in the choice of God? All right, so for example... Are you a winner or a loser, a success or a failure, a someone or a no one, because that's what somebody has told you? Or maybe that's the narrative you've bought about yourself. Do you struggle with a narrative of unworthiness that you're looking to reinforce subconsciously by, you know, look, oh, yep, see, rejected, that's what I'm worth. Are you looking for your identity in the choice of other people or in the choice of God and then Second question is simply, will you receive the identity that God gives to you through faith in Jesus? Because that's the key. All of that is offered freely. And all you have to do is say, you know, in here, I want that. And bring yourself to him. So we're going to come to the table in a moment. And before we do, we're going to pray together, and and I'm going to give you some time to just interact with the Lord on all of that. But this is a uniquely Christian table. What what do I mean by that? I mean that if you're going to take it authentically, if you're going to take up the bread that represents the body of Jesus, if you're going to take up the juice that represents the blood spilled for his people, then you do it as one who believes that that is in fact the case. You're saying, that is my identity. I am one bought and paid for by what these elements represent. And if you can't yet say that, then I would encourage you to talk to somebody from our prayer team. They're going to be at the back at the end of our service. They might spread out at some point during communion. Make, go talk to them. Or if you just need prayer about anything, just go pray with them. They're, they would really love to do that. But otherwise, if you're a Christian... Come to the table and, and lay down at the table the false identity and all of the lies and narratives that we create about ourselves and that, we, and that we've been given. And take up with joy in the elements, the identity that Jesus suffered and died to give to you. So let's pray together. Let's do business with the Lord and then we'll come to the table. Father, we thank you that you have come in the person of Jesus, that that our future is not in us, but it's in him. Lord, we thank you for the champion who has come 
to bring the victory that we cannot bring for the foes that he's defeated for us, even ones that we've erected for ourselves. Just take a minute and talk to him about who you are about how you've been operating in life, from what identity, from what place, and lay down the false identity that you might take up the new one and know his freedom.